Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Catherine Blanford, how the heck are you? Fantabulous. You, <laughs> you are killing it. Do you know this? I, I, I know it. And then I tell myself, I'm absolutely not. It's all going to come crashing down. Because if you do this long enough, you uh, get excited about something and then it never happens and you get disappointed. And so you, you never allow yourself to get excited or comfortable um, in anything. <laughs> I'm the exact same way in, in, in being a reporter and doing comedy or, or really anything. I mean, but I, I can tell you, I'm going to, you are, are doing amazing. Congratulations. You got a Thank debut you. album, mm-hmm. Salt Daddy. Yes. Uh, yeah. You just did a show with David Spade. You're on the road. Yeah. Um, t- tell me about, uh, let's talk about the album uh, Salt Daddy. I'm going to assume that's a Florida reference. Yes. How, um, it's Fort Lauderdale. How did you know? Guessed. I was just guessed. Yes. Yeah. It's about yeah. a trip. We took uh, with a man named Salt Daddy on his boat into the ocean in Fort Lauderdale, and chaos ensues. You might know Salt Daddy. Everyone doesn't know, but they know Salt Daddy. You know what I mean? You, yeah, tell us. Please tell us every detail and, and why. <laughs> well, okay. I'll, I'll, it's, it's the ending story of my, of my album. And Oh, you don't it, have to tell the whole. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. Essentially, we were on a bachelorette trip. And uh, we wanted to do a boat excursion, and we found this man on Craigslist. <laughs> we sh- we shouldn't be alive today. Do you know what I'm saying? I was gonna say. I, I'm I know. For your adventure. The jo- yeah, the joke is like <laughs> it sounds dangerous, but his name was Soul Daddy, so we knew he had daughters. And uh, he true story picked us up at an abandoned dock. We're we're on a bachelorette trip. We just willingly go on this man's boat on an abandoned dock. No one else is around. Uh, and we, um, and, uh, we go out to the middle of the ocean and then he, uh, I have a bunch of jokes about it, but he, uh, was filming us on his phone the entire time (laughs) and then invited his friends to join us. And these, these women just showed up in these, just the the, the Miami goddess bodies, you know, I'm like, they had the butts that make you hungry for honey baked ham, those butts. Uh, and he got on their boat and they drove away for a couple hours. <laughs> Left us. Oh my God. I mean, I mean, great story now, but were you kind of going, oh no, what happened? Or, well, my favorite part, my favorite part is like, you, you know, he, he was filming us. We were feeling pretty sexy. And then he gets on some other boat. And I said, <laughs> I say earlier in the joke, I'm like, you know, we were playing pretend cat kidnap. So after he left us, I was like, the worst part about playing kidnap is when he's like, yeah, you're free to go. I found someone else. And you're like, oh, come well, on. Bridesmaid, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what were the good points of Salt Daddy, though? What Were there good attributes that he had? Or I mean... Uh, it's not, I, not hurting you. <laughs> yeah, honestly, he was really just there for a good time. <laughs> I think he genuinely was. I think he... <laughs> Uh, you know, he probably picked us up at an abandoned dock because he didn't want anyone else bothering us, maybe. 
Everyone's really thinking Florida Keys is is not judging you, but worried now. <laughs> a little like, is she going to be okay? You're clearly fine. <laughs> I'm good. I'm telling you, I'm like that. What I how I describe myself, I am that cute dog at the pound that everyone's like, I want this dog. I'm going to take this dog, and then they take me home. And they're like, I go right back. They're like, never mind. Absolutely not. I can't handle it. Is it? This is this is like its its defense mechanism to not be alone. Is it super cute? But then the minute you get me alone, you're like, I can't. This one's got to go back to the pound. So I'm good. I promise you, I will always be returned. Is Craigslist Craigslist still a thing? Like I'm older than you, so I know what it is. But is it still real? Are you sure? Oh yeah, it's still real. I just got a car part on it. Oh my God! No, no, God. Um, are are have you been to Fort Lauderdale, South Florida before before this trip? Um, I don't think I had. I I described it as as Miami, but but with love handles. I like saw it's, that, and that's sorry, yes. Fort Lauderdale. They know. They know. Well, it's it's like Miami, but it's like if they once they kind of kick you out of Miami, they're like you've you've aged out of Miami, but you're still living Miami life. That's Fort Lauderdale. That's Fort Lauderdale. I yeah. actually kind of aspire to live there, and I know what you're talking about. I just think I'd fit in. Um, Miami's too cool for me. I am not uh, – I mean, I usually have this great self-esteem. I'll be honest. I have a body, <laughs> reverse body dysmorphia. Yeah. I look amazing. But Miami is uh, – you got to know what you're doing there. Yeah, it's – I go to to just – I'm like you I, – I think you have to have 72 hours in Miami. That's it. That's yes. max. A limit. Yes, you have to go for it to be fun, but before the shock value wears off and then you start to really feel bad about yourself, you go, you just live it, you just you you say I'm one of them and you people watch and you eat delicious food yes. and then and then you get the heck out of there before reality sets in. You got it cuz I you know I I do write for the Miami Herald, but I live in Key West. Okay. I, I I, I do a good job, but I write a lot about, hey, baby turtles were seen on this video, and it's great. Like, five things to do at the airport, you know what I mean? Like, um, and it's fine. It's I'm very, but but I know a lot of the reporters, and I'm just like, man, you guys are so cool. And they're like, no, you're cool. And I don't know how they live there, because you got to, it's fun, but it's also a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I've been to Miami multiple times at Fort Lauderdale. I, my first couple experiences in Miami, I, I did not enjoy it. But hold on, it gets better. Because I was on bachelorette trips, and it was just, we would just have to send a picture of our group to some man named Jerry that we'd never met. And you would just, you know, you would, without saying it, you'd put the the voluptuous pretty ones in the front. And you, some some people got kicked to the back of the group so that the promoter would let us into the club. <laughs> Never drink coffee with Catherine on the Zoom. I'm about to spit it. Um, bachelorette trips. Where do you stand? Your friends aren't going to listen to this. So where, no. are they? They look terrible, but yet kind of yes. fun, fun, but not in a, I don't know. Tell me. Oh, they're awful. I hate them. I've been on so many. I've been on 27 dresses. Yeah, I've been on 52 little black dresses, okay, with with one bride wearing the white. Do you, you've seen that trend? We all wear black, the white, oh, the, the, the bride wears white. Yeah, uh, no, I absolutely hate them. The, the ones the ones that are in the clubby areas are the worst, though, because that's all you do is you just, you, you're you in Miami, the promoter says, eh, you'll do, he gets you in, he shovels you into 
there's 16 of y'all you have to stand on one couch cushion in the back of the club and they're like bottle service and it's just a girl that carries out a teeny tiny thing of 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 gasoline vodka and ocean spray cranberry juice delicious and and you just have to pretend like you're having a good time and that's that's every bachelorette trip i hate oh, hate them the rock bottom club the a yes <laughs> yes it's um oh my god awful. Uh, but I wanted to ask, because we've we've talked before, and I think we're on the road to being best friends. I told yeah. Larabee that one of you has to. Uh, oh, Lace, I got this. Lace, like, Lace, can, Lace can visit us. Lace can come on our bachelorette trip. You're the cutest friends, and you're both killing it at comedy. And, and um, I did want to ask about how you, how did you get into comedy? Uh, what, what was your first stand-up? When did you say, hey, I'm doing this, and what happened? I, uh, I, w- I was in college. I did the competition. I did like a sorority competition. We had to do a, a, a talent and I, I couldn't dance. I couldn't do anything sexy. So I did a opening monologue. Like I was Chelsea Handler for her show, Chelsea lately. And I, I roasted all the guys in the fraternity who was putting on the, um, competition and I won. And I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at this. I think I could do this. So, and then I waited six more years and then did, took a, took a comedy class. Don't tell anyone. I, uh, come on. That's, that's just being. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I didn't grow up with comedy, so I had no idea how to, how to actually get into it. Or I didn't know even who the greats were. I mean, people were talking, asking me about Carlin when I first started and I was like, I don't know, that's not, is that a popcorn? I have no idea who that is. Uh, so I took a class and then was hooked and then then slowly became completely integrated in this and this is all I ever do or think about. <laughs> it's an amazing. I'm I'm not comparing myself to you, but I'm I'm getting funnier. I got a big show tomorrow night at the That's awesome. Plug it. Two and thirty minutes. Um but it's it's great. I mean, it's been amazing. it was something I never thought I could do because I'm like, I can't write my own jokes. Like I'll tell a story. But um uh, what was I gonna, uh, it's taken five years to get good and the guy when oh. it takes five years but you're a comedian now and it, I feel great about that but it's it wasn't easy to to get the to know how to do it oh yeah I, I think it took me truly a seven year journey to like really for something to click and and to get it I think you can't also that was a, you can't compare yourself because it does some people get, get it faster some people don't but it doesn't matter. Like when it clicks, it's going to click. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to like kind of come easier and faster. And as soon as it does click, but you can't rush the click. God, that's a good quote. God, you can't rush the click. Feeling that. Uh, Cause I wanted to ask you about writing in, do you, do you write every single word out? I'm just looking for ideas. Screw this. Of course. Um, or do you kind of add, ad lib or cause I, I, I've recently just, I was using notes. I was scared. And then I threw them away and I felt so much freer and I was doing better. So what, what is your writing like process? Like, I mean, in your, do you ever just get on there and say, I'm just going to see what, what happens or it's yeah. I think mine's is a mixture. I, I do. I love to write a lot. Like I have to write because my ideas are so fluffy in my head. I've got to write them to kind of figure it out and to write a structure, but I'm, also a huge believer in I also figure it out on stage so I'll write it out first so be like okay here's my 
here's my beats. This is kind of my idea, but it doesn't really, I don't really see the, the, the big hits until I'm on stage and I start to say it. And I had to say it in front of people, like the saying it out loud in your room doesn't, doesn't work for me. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be looking at people and connecting with people. So I'll throw it out there and I'll be like, Oh, okay. Here's the parts that hit. These are the parts that are really relating to people. So then I'll go back and then I'll like zoom in on those parts and kind of try and add tags and more punches to those parts and then throw that out there again. And then it's really, and then it all keeps kind of morphing the more and more I throw it out there and the more and more I see what connects and what hits, but from beginning of a bit to the end is a completely different bit. Ah, because, um, and I just, I, I have, uh, I just have some memory problems. I got the depression. I, yeah. So, but as soon as I threw, and I was afraid, I'm like, what if I repeat the joke? Like I got issues, but you know, um, and I just threw them away and I just felt so much freer and I didn't, I mean, I'm yeah. not studying them, but I would glance and it just, that little change. It was like, um, and, and my friend, Steve, who I have kind of a crush on, but I'm gay. Uh, he, he studied it, uh, up in Chicago, second city. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad there's all this structure in classes and, and this, I didn't know there was structure. Like I can actually structure this. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fun. Of, it's the structure is, I think the structure helps you the more to subconsciously know, you know, like the beginning of a bit, how to, how to throw it in there, how to, how to like develop it and then how to end it. But it is like once you get on stage, that's what that's how I like when I finally kind of feel like a bit is kind of formed. I keep throwing it out there and I keep throwing it out there and I keep throwing it out there as loose as I can because all those funny little tags and those funny little like throwaway lines, those all come from being on stage and just connecting with people and, and feeling free and messing around. And those end up being some of the the best lines, the, you know, the things that people laugh at the most. And those don't come from sitting down and writing in your notebook. Those come from being in the moment. Cause I just came into it thinking, you know, Oh, you just gotta be naturally funny. These guys are just no. riffing and, and, um, and they're like, no, but they're like, you're naturally funny too, but you gotta like find some punchlines, girl. Like I was yeah. all premise. I was all like, Hey, this is funny. And they're like, where's the punchline? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I just, you've worked really hard though. I follow you on Instagram, not in a weird way. Just saying that makes it weird though, doesn't it? Like if I- No, that, I appreciate it. You know, you know, you worked really hard and um, you were, you were a nanny mm-hmm. and, and doing that all day and then doing, um, what happened to the kids? Are you not- Oh, I'm still, I'm really still with them right now. I mean, yeah. not literally right now, but I, I, I mean, this week it was, we had to be like, okay, my schedule is, you know, I think, I think it's wearing down uh, the, the nannying because it's been, I, I just can't do it anymore, but I'm literally right now still nannying during the day and then going and doing shows and it's getting even harder because I, I have so much coming up and I'm like, I got to write for this. I got to write for this. And I, you know, I'm doing my own podcast. So it's, I'm, it's night and day. I'm crammed with doing stuff. I was even up in the middle of the night tonight because I didn't have time before booking flights for in between shows and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was afraid. I I sent you a request for an interview, and I thought she's gonna write back. Are you insane? I'm yeah. I'm doing, things, but uh, and and wanted to ask too. You're based in Atlanta. Are you mm-hmm. from it? Are you from the South? 
Yeah, well, Louisville, Kentucky. That's so south. Well, I know. I thought I grew up in southern Indiana, and when I moved to New Orleans, I like Yankee, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm yes. you. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah, uh, it's still the south. I mean, you you look around and you see the people and you see all the farmland, and you're like, this is this is still south. But I do love Louisville. But are you kind of you know? Because you can tell me, are you moving to New York? Are you going to go to LA? Are you thinking about it? Because you could go Chicago. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll i tell you, I it will be a next year, but I will be somewhere. Cool. West Coast, East Coast, I don't know yet. I've been, Atlanta, I go back and forth. Atlanta has a hot scene, right? With clubs and you can do a lot of stage time or I'm just making that up. No, it, I would say it's the best b-level scene in the city i mean in the country city like you know a is obviously la new york but as far as stand-up you know your b-level if you're if you start somewhere with a smaller scene i've seen people go you know they'll be like they'll start out in jacksonville then they move to atlanta then they hone that in atlanta then they go to la new york but and so i was think like as far as b-levels Atlanta is the top it's the best there's still so much industry there there's clubs there's theaters there's so much up and you're around so many other hit cities that you can drive to all the time that also have great scenes Nashville Asheville um uh there's a lot of clubs like in the hunts there's so many clubs you can drive to uh it's a great place to move to to hone your craft at the next step before going to LA and New York and being amongst just just you know a million killers on stage but there's yeah it's a great scene there's a lot of great comics in atlanta who who stay in atlanta and just operate from there that's great but but you did you move to atlanta for comedy or were no you were no no i moved for a job and then took a class as like a bucket list thing and then quit my 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 job i was event manager i was i worked for pga i was working for the lando magic in orlando and then at the amway center at Amway Arena oh god I can't remember what it's called now uh and then came up here for a small job started doing comedy was offered the Dallas Cowboys job had to be there in two weeks to do Jay-Z and Beyonce's on the run tour and the Dallas Cowboys camp whoa whoa wait whoa back it up Dallas Cowboys Jay-Z Beyonce what yeah got offered Dallas Cowboys um what was the stadium called AT&T Stadium I think at the time I don't know if it's still called that Jay-Z and Beyonce were coming. They were like, we need you there in two weeks. And I was like, actually, I quit. I want to be a nanny. I mean, I want to be a, a comedian, which really meant I was going to become a nanny for a long time. Uh, but, yeah, it's so here I am, still in Atlanta, but uh, now I'm traveling all over. That's that's great. Uh, that is that is awesome. And I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I wanted to um, – now, Salt Daddy, where can we where can we get that? Is that streaming or buy- – yes so right now it's on itunes and amazon music and title and some of the uh, lesser known streaming services uh when you get on stage do you have any self-doubt or I, I have this thing where i'm like are they gonna like am i pretty which what why i don't i usually don't care but do you have this being a woman because I, I really the whole like what's it like to be a woman you know comedian i'm yeah. kind of like over that because i'm like well it i don't know i mean it's it's good but do you worry about the whole um the the image the the body image the girl stuff so i will be honest it's it's comedy's almost better and worse as far as like being a woman and image in my head because 
people, so as comedy, they enjoy somebody. They're, they're not going to just goo goo and gaga at a look. Good point. They're not going to a fashion show. They're not going to just look at the Kardashians. So if you go in there and you have just kind of this unique look, and it doesn't have to be cookie cutter beautiful, that's that almost hurts a lot of times. I I, I would say I, I, people are like you, you're an attractive person, and a lot when I first started out, people were like that's going to hurt you because as soon as you get on stage, people are like, oh, who do you think you think you're funny? I want some dude you know some middle-aged dude chubby dude talking about being middle-aged and being chubby that's funny I don't want some pretty girl going on here and and making jokes who who are you to to blah 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 blah. and that that was a quote-unquote hurdle to get over as soon as you walk on stage well I I'm good now okay I've I've rose I've risen from this this road bump in my life but because it's just all about confidence and owning it but the in saying that I think that if you just look like yourself and you just kind of own who you are on stage, it's that helps you in comedy because it just sells comedy is just selling yourself and, and who you are and your, and your character that you are on stage. So you don't have to look cookie cutter. Perfect. You just have to look like yourself and be yourself and sell that. Where do you stand with, um, I don't find your work self-deprecating. In fact, there's a lot of confidence. That's fun. You're fun. You're fun. You're, you're relatable. You're, you're every person, you know, you're, um, one of us kind of, yeah, I'm going to stop talking. I'm one of the humans. Yeah. But I guess with self-deprecating, do you, do you think that it, there's a line or what would you call? Cause I, I like to make fun of myself, but I oh, just, yeah. sometimes I'm like, is this good for me? And a couple of times people, I can hear a woman in the audience going, oh, with, to which I say, I'm holding a microphone on a stage. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Like, is it? Um, oh, you know? no, I love it. I think it's, I, I mean, I hate, people hate when people say this, but people hate when comics is, but I think it's therapeutic. And I think it yes. almost shows more confidence if you're self-deprecating because you're like, yeah, I see this stuff about me. First of all, I'm willing to say it. Second of all, I've worked it out enough that I I I can address it and I, I can confidently talk about it. And so it's almost like you've risen above above it because you're making a joke out of it. My favorite comic that does self-deprecation is uh, Jessica Carson. Do you ever watch Jessica? I will now. Oh God, wait till you'll, you'll get, it will, so it will all like self-deprecation will make so much sense after you watch her. Cause it's a lot of what she does. She's just like, I'm sad. And, and I, like, I'm a bitch. And sorry if we can say that, but it's so funny to watch her on stage because she's absolutely leans into it so hard that you relate to her when you do have those moments of just like, you know, you just, you're, it's a moment of your self-doubt and, and you're upset with yourself. And it's, when you watch her go through it, you totally can connect to those moments in your life. And it makes you feel better because you're like, oh, we all just have these moments of we're, we're just absolutely losing it. We don't trust ourselves. I'm not, I'm not, and it's fun. It's fun to have, to be able to watch somebody laugh about it. And, and that connection, I mean, comedy, it's super fun. I know I'm talking yeah. a lot about structure and work and you gotta, but it's that energy that the harnessing that energy and that connection with people. Yeah. And I like making the fact I'm like, I'm making them laugh. I'm making them happy. Yeah. Oh, it's the, it's the, the minute, it, the minute you get on stage and you do get that laugh of something that you've been working on, you're like, Oh, I'll keep chasing this for the rest of my life. Cause there is literally no other better feeling in the world. 
Well, Catherine Blanford, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And seriously, you know, congratulations on everything. And um, I just, I don't know, I'm excited. Your Instagram, by the way, is exciting and fun. And um, also uh, Cheaties, Cheaties, the, yes. the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, cheaters, about people um, who, who cheat, they tell their stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lace, Lace Larry and I, here you had on, uh, we co-host it. I think we're we're probably going on three years now. Three years worth of cheating stories. There's never a dry week. Someone always is being cheated on. They call us and tell us, and we laugh about and cry about it. We laugh through the pain, and uh, it's it's a blast. And we're we're growing now, and we're getting like the stories that are coming in are, are they're only getting wilder, and it's it's so fun. It's been a fun journey. It's great. It's great. Thanks again. And um, I'll, I'll see you next time you're in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Call me with the Craigslist guy. You think, but you're the best. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Semensky, you own Leather Master Key West. You are an expert in leather making uh, masks. Um, thanks for coming on. Hey, Gwen. Thanks for having me. You you are you have kept this business Leather Master right there on Apple Ruth off the wall. You've kept that uh, open and, and thriving for. I have an 11th anniversary catalog from 1989, so that kind of dates it back into the 70s. Wow. And and you, when did you buy the um, business? Because it was here a little bit before. Oh, it was here. It's been here since then. Um, my partner, Pat, which we're partners in the business. So he's the other leather master, so to speak. Um, he bought it in 98. And I came in about 2006 and started running things. And um, I had worked here part-time for fun prior to that. Um but the leather work has always been kind of at the core of the business. Um, you know, making things like harnesses, belts, restraints, uh, leather masks, uh, and festive masks, not just like sex masks, you know, masquerade kinds of masks, you know, whimsical and that kind of thing. Um, so I started learning way back when, and when I came into the business full time, I focused on really digging in and understanding and learning how to work with leather. And boy, what a what a trip that was! Um, there's all different kinds of leather. There's no one place to go and learn about it, and you encounter a lot of anecdotal and sort of homegrown do-it-yourself methods and techniques and um so years of sorting through that stuff and figuring out what works best for us there was already kind of an established pattern for a lot of the things that we make but um you know always try to step up the game so yeah and the business has been here since the 70s i have people coming in reminding me constantly almost daily about oh i was i came in in 1994 19 86 and i bought this and do you still have it and i'm like well maybe you know it depends but um so 
but you um this is some high end leather uh articles of this is um and and yeah I totally want to talk about all the sex stuff cuz um I I I don't know a lot about I know it's hard to believe. I don't know a lot about uh, the leather community or these types, but um, you're kind of providing, I mean, this is helping people express themselves or, you know, um, relate to their partners. Well, I mean, on on a personal level, I'm very sex positive and open and um, pretty knowledgeable about different parts of the community kinks and fetishes and lifestyles and all that stuff so um that kind of goes hand in glove with having a store like this because i get people from all walks of life um and then they come in asking about different things kinks and fetishes and just just basic you know make my partner happy stuff kind of questions and um so i've tried to educate myself over the years and approach it from a very sex positive standpoint and not in a dirty way i guess is the only way i can think of describe it you know um to me expressing yourself through your sexuality is living just this as normal as eating and living the rest of your life um, a lot of people come in with preconceptions and you know kind of hang-ups about it i, I try to relieve that because it's really not we're not a dirty bookstore Correct. No, it's this is a we're, we're uh, space where you can come in and talk and find things that'll help make your life more enjoyable. Now, do people ever come in and sort of go, "Oh no, I thought this was"? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Oh, not that kind of leather store. <laughs> I just well, I mean, what kind, of le- what kind of leather store were you looking for? Because <laughs> this is nice stuff that you. If if you aren't here, this is stuff people order um, custom, right, or commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Um, over the years, the higher end leather garments, like leather pants and chaps and shirts and women's um, uh, women's tops and skirts and whatnot, um, leather is an expensive material to work with, and so the garments are expensive, and it's not easily alterable. I mean, it is alterable, but once you sew leather, it's ripped. So if you have to, if, you know, once you, if, when you let it out, it's not like a piece of fabric that you can unstitch it and give it a little shake and it, you never knew it was stitched before. With leather, it's, it's there forever. Um, but what I've witnessed over the years is um, kind of a, a downturn in people coming in interested in the higher end leather garments, um, like a pair of leather pants runs about $500. Um, a nice leather skirt, probably in the two to 250 range. I have people that will come in and spend $50 on a pair of fabric underwear, but they won't spend $150 for a leather harness that we make by hand. And it's just a change in, I think it's a change in our culture. Leather is more of a fashion statement than a lifestyle anymore. Really? Yeah, that's that's the feeling I get from the community that comes through. Um, of course, there's still the, the leather folks and the BDSM folks that live the lifestyle that appreciate leather, you know, apparel and whatnot. But 
most people that come through anymore, they're looking for something to match their eyes. No, oh, that's just, uh, but, but <laughs> talk a little bit for the, and, and again, I'm not a scholar. I, I'm very fascinated by, by um, all these communities and, and uh, very pro-sex people expressing themselves. Um, how would you define the leather community for someone who's listening right now going, Hey, what on earth? It's in a couple of different ways. Um, the leather lifestyle sort of goes hand in glove with BDSM bondage, discipline, sadomasochism uh, practices, which is a set of kinks and fetishes that a lot of people explore. Um, so people will live that lifestyle um, part-time or even full-time and um, the leather community sort of embrace it, it, it definitely embraces that. I mean, you have leather daddies and you have dominatrixes and you have pups and you have subs and you have doms and everybody, they all have a different sort of leather aesthetic that, they, that goes with it. Um, so when people come in and they're in the lifestyle or they're, they're, they're practicing or, or dipping into the lifestyle, they're looking for apparel to go along with that in whatever role or what have you that they're playing. From a social standpoint, the leather community and the gay community was one of the original cohesive safe spaces for gay people to exist in. Um, not too long ago, in my generation, um, you could get killed walking down the street if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and openly gay. Mm -hmm. And the leather community was, as I said, one of the first groups to become cohesive and protective and to create safe spaces and social events. Also very active in the community in terms of fundraising for charities, raising awareness and education and whatnot classic gay guy or just I, sh I shouldn't say gay guy but a classic lgbt leather club mm -hmm. embraces the community is supportive of the community works works in outreach works in charity um the leather groups back in the 80s were one of the few groups to actually reach out and go and take care of aids patients mm. yes um meals on wheels those, those kind of programs. I remember back where I'm from in Baltimore, the leather community, we were very, very active in terms of just being supportive of people that were, um, you know, very sick. And, you know, at that stage, nobody knew what it was, how it was treated. So it was kind of a, a, a pariah mentality. So, um, so from a lifestyle standpoint, that's one thing, you know, there's the look and the feel and the, the aesthetic that goes with the lifestyle. And, you know, that weaves all through the BDSM kinks and fetish kinds of things. But then you have from a social standpoint, this is my personal experience as a gay man, uh, growing up and having that community as a support mechanism for me, because I did not have family. My family turned me away when I came out at 18. And so the leather community was one of the first groups of people that I encountered that actually gave me a safe space and embraced me, let me be who I was and didn't try to uh, uh, 
what's wrong they didn't try to exploit me mm -hmm. it's just a good place to exist so so that's my long and short on gay on leather no, I, I love that because it you know and I, I mean i'm i make jokes too but it, this is there is a side like you just explained beautifully that you know of, of feeling of being okay to be yourself and to be around people that are like, of course, and, and to have that. Yeah, well, exist and not, I mean, I've never been particularly, I've, I've, I'm very masculine presenting and you really wouldn't know unless I told you that I was gay, but for people who are, you know, more feminine or, you know, their, their, their affect is more, you know, off the, the the heteronormative kind of spectrum, um, it's really difficult. And one of the conversations that I've been having with a lot of people lately, I just got to slide this in. Um, in social media with the gay community, there's this like overwhelming attitude about if you don't have a face picture, I don't want to speak to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't even bother to talk to me. And I just want to say that that's really an unfortunate perspective to have because in this day and age, even though we live in a more accepting and open culture, there are many, many, many people who still live in the shadows for fear of reprisal and violence and rejection. Yes. And when you put that kind of, pardon me for being so blunt, self-absorbed, attitude out there in our community you are literally erasing those people who are struggling the most and I, yeah i never thought of it that way i mean i do think that's a little also people have a right to their right to privacy privacy right still yeah right? sure uh, i never thought of that though is it that is someone's um I mean, I mean, I, it's up to them. Of course, it's a, a right of privacy, but also just maybe they, you know, they could be uh, you, their lives at stake, you know, it could be their lives at stake. You have, you have young people. I mean, the suicide and the violence rate among LGBT youth is, is huge. It's, it's way it's off the charts. Um, so coming out to family at an early age in this day and age still is a very risky and dangerous thing for a lot of people. So to simply just be dismissive and say, you know, if you don't have a picture, you're not worthy of attention. I, I really, I, I have a really real problem with it. That just, is, um, and, and I've put with some people on it. And I mean, I, nobody's been able to shake my position on that. I just, you cannot and see i'm from a space where i was rejected and i faced the violence and all that kind of stuff and i know many people today who are in that same position you know bisexuality is kind of becoming trendy and you have a lot of men women that are coming to terms with their bisexuality they live in that space of fear and reprisal and rejection. So, you know, you have somebody who's coming to, ter coming to terms with their sexuality, um, but, oh, by the way, if you don't post a picture of yourself, we're going to erase you. You don't exist. We're going to look down on you. That's a really unfortunate 
And they're, it is selfish. They're not thinking of the other person. And are, are you talking um, mostly dating apps or just uh, social online stuff? I, I see them hookup apps where a lot of people, um, they post this whole um, complaint about if you don't have a picture, blah, 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 blah. Like reading them the reading them the riot act. Okay. Right. Um, and then on social media, like Facebook, I, I'm involved in administrating a lot of large groups on Facebook. And um it's prevalent there too. If you don't put a face picture out there on Facebook, you get criticized. And um I personally don't put a face pic my 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 picture out. Um, number one, because I'm just not that pretty. And I don't want to scare people. You are. You're totally hot, man. Come on. In the same time, I need to maintain a certain level of privacy for my business. Yes. When I walk into my store, we have a no photograph policy. You do, and and that's important. And um, I uh, I never know that that helps me uh, kind of think a different way too about um what people how people present themselves and um, to me it's the same with those and i'm going to call them out the women that are like hey don't talk to me unless you're five, six feet tall i'm like you know what the love of your life is five seven right i'm i'm and, sorry i'm sorry if i'm not on your bucket list of who you think might make you happy but um, probably but you know what we've all been on that date that well you've been a partner of i've been on that date where it's like oh do you like cats do you smoke and i'm like the love of your life is a chain smoking cat hater lady who exactly. rents. asked if i rent her own i was like is right, this a right. job interview that I, for a job i yeah. don't want <laughs> yeah that, that cracks me up how people have these lists uh, lists of, of and it's all about like them like and they go down the list and if you don't meet the criteria then you you're out and I'll tell you, from personal experience, I know for a fact that lists do not work. I'm, I'm guilty of the curb appeal thing. I have a certain yeah, I mean, look that I like and I'm attracted to, but I've also learned over the years that when you meet somebody who shares the energy with you, you should be receptive to that because that energy means so much more than the curb appeal. And the vibe, they call it the vibe now. I had to Google that to make sure it was a positive thing. Someone's like, oh, you vibe. And I was like, is that a good, the kids, the kids these days, David, they're, you vibe. Sure. <laughs> but I wanted to, <laughs> um, I did want to ask, because I have seen some of your mask work that, I mean, um, I mean, this as a compliment, like there's some eyes wide shut masks going on here. Oh, yeah, have you, yeah, have yeah, you worked yeah. for months on a certain mask or? There are some that, I mean, I don't put, full time of months effort right. into it. But some that sit and kind of develop on their own. Like I'll have an idea and I'll start it and then it just kind of evaporates for me. I'll sit at the side. I still have the idea, I still have the concept, but I haven't quite visualized it. And keep in mind I'm not trained as an artist. I do everything that I do by just what appeals to me visually and what works for me. And sometimes I miss horribly. Um, but as far as the themes, uh, yeah, I mean, we have bondage masks. I mean, there are bondage hoods that full coverage, cover your eyes, your nose, your mouth, sensory deprivation kind of hoods. Um, I've made a few of those. Um, 
mostly those I get those from people who do that as a specialty there because that requires a lot of sewing expertise that I don't have. But the other masks, um, they span the spectrum. Like I'm a huge sci-fi fan. So I'll crank out masks that have a whole theme behind them like Battlestar Galactica, the robot look, or Dune, the uh, the Bene Gesserit look, or... Um, the, you know, the sci-fi kind of stuff. And, you know, you see a lot of the visuals in the movies and whatnot. So that's, that's, that's a lot of inspiration. But there's also um, a, a ton of amazing mask work that was done back in the medieval and the uh, Renaissance periods and even in the early Roman times. Actually, it's kind of a segue, but the harnesses that we make for play, for leather play, are based on the original Roman, they they considered it underwear. But okay. basically, it was, it was a four-strap harness that went over the chest and around the chest and over the shoulders. And the soldiers would wear that under their armor. Their armor would attach to it. That And so the leather harness was their personal garment. The armor was what they got when they went to work. I love those harnesses. You mean the ones that kind of go over your, like a strap, a yeah. little, little like a bra strap, strap but not really. Two, yeah. two straps over their shoulder, a ring right between. Yeah. And I researched it years ago and those are actually based on way back, way back. Yeah. But back to the masks. Um, so there's the whimsical stuff. Like I'll just do pretty with feathers and baubles and you know, gems and pretty shiny things on them. Um, I'll do the things that are inspired by science fiction and movies and whatnot. Um, but then I'll also go back and I'll look into medieval times and the original Roman Empire and masks are, were hugely popular during certain periods in history. So like the plague beak mask from the mm. medieval times during the bubonic plague. The plague beak was actually a functional mask that prevented the doctor from getting sick. That was the whole point of having the long beak because they would stuff cotton in the beak and soak it in, I want to say patchouli, but some kind of an astringent that would prevent the plague virus from entering in and or it would filter it. Um, and then if you, if you just, if you Google Renaissance masks, you'll see a couple of dozen different styles. There's the Fox style, the Flora style, the, um, so I, a, a lot of the things that I do are based on inspiration from those those different times in history. Um, I love that, you know, I, I, I love history. And so when I go back and I read and I start to, you know, understand that you know, this mass was for certain celebrations, religious celebrations, they wore certain kinds of masks and parties, you know, uh, Easter and Christmas, you know, different different periods in history there were masks and headdresses that went along with that. And so I get inspiration from that. And then I just do downright horror science fiction kind of stuff, like, like devils and gargoyles and um, angels and villains and one-eyed monsters. And a few, a few years ago, I did a um, Krampus mask. Yeah. I just had an idea that I wanted to do a Krampus. So I did this, big full headdress kind of mask and had a big hairy head and huge horns and you know so my inspiration comes from all over the place and um 
again, I'm not trained artistically. So I just look for what makes me, what moves me. I can't say what makes me happy, but what inspires me. Plague mask. That, that's what I call the eyes wide shut. Cause I think one yeah. guy had, so that, that elaborate kind of beak, that's for the mat. That's for doctors. That's Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a symbol of death because when the plague doctor came through with his beak on, people were dying. Oh boy. That was so it's, bad it's, news. It's a visual that strikes almost, uh, almost a, a, a primal fear in people's minds when they see it. And, um, yeah, I've, I've got a standard plague beak style that I do, and then I have knockoffs. Um, mm. I've had a few people custom order, order them from me. Um, so, That's amazing. What has, um, you say you're not, you keep saying you're not trained as an artist. I'm fascinated because your background is, you are a corporate maverick guy, like IT. Oh, no, I was IT consulting. Consulting. Yeah, I did large computer systems design and build, and um, I did that for about 30 years, and um, I was lucky at the beginning of my career, I got a job with a large insurance company that was an alpha site for IBM, just as the PC technology was coming out, and I got exposed and trained in all the very first PC technology from IBM, all the fancy boards and the interfaces to the mainframes and um, you know memory cards and video cards. I mean, I remember before a mouse was even in on the radar, I mean, and the original PCs were all DOS-based. Mm-hmm. We didn't have Windows in the 80s and the early 80s. So, so anyway, I got trained in all that and I quickly grew and developed and I got a lot of experience doing local area networking and um, I designed the largest local area network that was interconnected nationally, private network for an insurance company back in the late mid eighties. And um, after that, I had kind of like, it was my swan song because I was more of a technician engineer type, not a management type and uh, didn't see a whole lot of career path within the corporate framework. And I went independent and I started my own company, technical placements, basically technical consulting, but I mean, it got to a point where I had I had experienced in so many different disciplines and industries. Um, the companies would hire me to come in and sit with the boardroom while IBM did their pitch and other companies did their pitch for technology. And they would look at me and say, why should we spend $20 million on this? And I would be the guy that would kind of sit down and give them the, the real cost benefit, the real cost benefit versus what... The vendors were trying to feed to them. And um, so I had a lot of business, a lot of good experience that way. And then, um, yeah, when I came to Key West, I started a little company called Key West Computer Guy, and it did computer service. It did computer service for several years. And then um, when I got involved with this business, um, can't, there are only so many hours in the day. And I decided that I was just going to work the retail business. So I wanted to keep this kind of legacy going what is inspiring about key west what keeps you here i know it's changed insane i can't even imagine how it's changed since you got here but does it still inspire you um just in different ways but business uh leather work um 
the, the leather work is more of a differentiating hobby for me, I guess. I like keeping busy. I like technical challenges. I've incorporated that into the business here. Running the business is kind of a no-brainer. You know, it's a little retail shop. You buy inventory, you sell stuff to people. But doing the leather work requires a certain amount. I apply my technical acumen to, the, to that, to the creative side of that. Um, and that keeps me busy. But as far as Key West goes, yes, it has changed dramatically since the first time I stepped off the plane Eastern Airlines, they'll take you back. I stepped off the 727 at the airport here back in like 1980 or 81. And boy, this place just, it felt like when I walked out the door that my entire perception of reality had shifted a few degrees. That's what QS did to me the very first time I came here. And then I lived here for a short time, about a year when I was young. And um, this is back when the first Fantasy Fest was happening. And the town was really financially, economically, the military had pulled out after the Cuban Missile Crisis. There was not a whole lot of economy here other than military. And so a lot of the gay business owners got together and they decided that they were going to make Fantasy Fest happen as a way to attract business. Now, keep in mind, this is before the new road was built. And it was the old seven mile bridge, which That's was a right. little, little two lane, just god awful thing to drive across. The most terrifying thing. I'm so grateful I never had to drive. I don't like, oh. even the new one scares me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was. That two lanes that you'd yeah. hit, you'd hit side mirrors. You, would, you had to slow down. It's almost to crawl to pass you know, oncoming cars because, yeah, you would bump mirrors. But, oh. um, so from those days when it was just a rundown, you could buy any building on Duval Street for 20 grand back then. Um, so it was a rundown, no economy. And then to watch it transition, you know, the, the, the gay community has always been in love with Key West. And we came in and did a lot of gentrification and started the money moving. A lot of people followed in on that. And here we are today, you know, which I want to throw something else in. Sure. We should focus as a community on being sex positive and promoting people's healthy existence and lifestyles and their behaviors. And we shouldn't be worried about telling them what they cannot do. Do you mean the quote unquote nudity argument or? Yeah, you got it. The, the, um, say it without saying it, but. We should be teaching people what it's like to be open and loving and responsible about our lives. And it's not an issue of nudity. It's not an issue of um, being gay or straight or what have you. It's an issue of being a responsible human being. I, I agree. And also, every few years I have to write about people and people are off on social media like oh i don't want to see these naked old people that is so first of all i think it's misogynist because they're talking about women men walk around shirtless all the time and it's sure, so yeah. mean-spirited because there is a lot of body positivity with fantasy fest i think yeah there is you're right and you know what it kind of goes back to my thing about the pictures yes erasing people, people the, erasing people who live in the shadows a lot of people who would never consider taking their clothes off, which nudity isn't really the issue. It's comfort and body positivity and being 
happy about who you are. Agreed. It's not, I mean. Yeah, that's what we should be teaching and promoting and encouraging, not standing up, waving a Bible and saying, thou shalt not this. Because you know what? Some of the worst puritanical patriarchal laws in our country's history came from exactly that kind of thinking. And yeah, I'm calling them out. No, and I, I, it, it's so topical, and it's become this Key West thing where even p- politicians, elected leaders, are are always pressured by people who don't go to Fantasy Fest, and it's always this: we don't want to see naked people. And uh, my favorite quote of all time was a local who said, "You can always turn your head and uh, uh, right, right, or well, don't I mean, go." My, my thing is, as a city, as a community, we shouldn't be putting up red flags and ropes. What we should be doing is saying, hey, if you're going to come down here, be respectful. Correct. And be proud of who you are. Love the people you're with. If you want to take your clothes off, there's a space for you for this short time. Don't overdo it with the alcohol. Don't overdo it with the drugs. Don't be a jerk. Don't be like, um, but but also I, I've been telling people who don't, it's like when I lived in New Orleans and I'm like, that whole showing you're taking off clothes, that's like a two block part of the French Quarter. The rest of Mardi Gras is families and celebrating and having fun. And Fantasy yeah. Fest, what I've seen, it's pretty tame, isn't it? Or it used to be wilder. Let me just throw this out there to answer the question about what other city allows this to happen. New Orleans, San Francisco, even New York. It's just enjoy yourself, you know? Boy, does it bring and, out the, uh, it brings out the, the, not just the, uh, moral police, but the sort of, I just don't, I, I'm so tired of hearing people or posting pictures. I had to see this on my, I'm like, come on, man. Right, get over yourself. Same thing. It's about erasure and judgment. And, um, you can probably tell I'm very, Sex positive, I'm body positive, I'm, I'm love positive. You know. And isn't Key West the whole one human family? I, I mean, isn't the umbrella of Key West, hasn't it always been what you just said? Like, do what you want, just don't hurt anyone. One human family, let me throw a little fact out there. One human family is the official city motto. It was signed into officialdom in the year 2000 by Jimmy Weekly, who was mayor. So yeah, it, it is kind of a guiding spirit and concept for this for this town and um you know i i've I've seen go back going back to your question about how has it changed i've seen key west bump a few times over the whole puritanical kind of like oh my god we don't need that here um it never ends well it never ends well in general anywhere but in key west we come roaring back because we still we are who we are you know, you're a huge part of the community and keeping us all, um, uh, you know, ha- having fun, being responsible, being, you know, loving each other. Thank you. David. Nice. It's, it's not hard. I don't think even I can do it. Yeah. You're well, thank you, David. And, uh, I'll see you down there at Leathermaster. And, uh, thanks again. Thanks. Glenn. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West.
The Studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.